Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. To open God's Word today and read to you from the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm reading from chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. It's entitled, The Escape to Egypt. Friends, hear the Word of God. When they had gone, meaning the wise men, when the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping with great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Friends, the word of God. Two weeks ago, I was glued to the television set watching the President's Cup. Any of you here watch any of the President's Cup? A few hands in the room. Figured there'd be a few golfers. It pitted the 12 best American men against the 12 best internationals, excluding Europe. A match that takes place every two years. And this year, it was in Melbourne, Australia. Now, Melbourne just happens to be 16 hours ahead of us here on Eastern Standard Time. So when the Golf Channel aired it live, it started at 7 p.m., Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and it was really 11 a.m. Melbourne time. So we watched it live, but we watched it in the evening. They played it the next day in the morning. Hope I didn't lose you with that. Entering the final day, the U.S. was trailing 10 points to 8. So I watched Saturday evening, that live final day, which was the 12 singles matches, worth 12 points to decide the winner. Started at 7 p.m., 
But at 9 p.m. I went to sleep because it's Saturday night and I like to go to bed by 9 anyway. The next morning I wake up and I Google President's Cup to see who won. I was excited and relieved to see the Americans had rallied in the final day to win 16 to 14. I came down here and got to participate in worship that Sunday morning two weeks ago. And when I went home, instead of taking my normal Sunday afternoon nap, I turned the TV on and I watched the replay of the final 12 matches. Not because I was interested to see who would win, but because I wanted to see how we had already won. Knowing we had already won affected how I watched the final matches. There were no clammy palms, no sitting on pins and needles, no anxiety, wondering if the putt will go in or not. I already knew we had won. It was 100% guaranteed. So I was relaxed. Enjoyed watching the process, already knowing the outcome. So it is, friends, in our relationship with God. You and I are here on earth. We're on a pathway. God's watching us. And he sees where we are. And he acts in the present, already knowing our future. We see in a mirror dimly. God sees the present and the future. He sees around the curve on the road we're on. He knows what's ahead. And he acts in our present tense, knowing the future. He is also 100% accurate. A century ago, there was a group called the Deist, D-E-I-S-T-S. Religious folks who believed that God in heaven was like the great watchmaker. A God who created the intricate details of this planet and the creations. And then backed up to watch it run from a distance. Refusing to intercede or intervene in any way. We are not deists here. We are Christians who believe God came down and entered our world at Christmas, being born in a manger in Bethlehem. And he came down to show the way and then to become the way. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are not deists. And so we believe the God in heaven still intervenes into our lives and our world and our church to accomplish his plan. So we pray, Lord, your will be done. We've got ideas, we've got plans. What we want is what you want. And what if, we're, what, if what we're asking for is not what you want, cancel our prayer request. I love what Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God. He says, God has the right to interrupt our lives anytime he chooses. And he chooses to do so. Because God cares about us, because God has a plan for us, he throws up roadblocks and sends us on detours. I promise you, if the God who sent his own son at the age of one on a detour to Egypt, he would also do that for us. But understand, of course, that the detour is just in the mind of Mary and Joseph. It wasn't a detour to God. 
He didn't have to go with plan B because Herod was evil. No, God had said 715 years before through his servant Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1, out of Egypt I will call my son. This was plan A. And so they went to Egypt. Detours, they're a part of our lives. You and I don't know what 2020 is going to bring yet. We know who's in control. We know he loves us. But will there be roadblocks and detours? Probably yes. Probably yes. And when they come, they will be from God. God uses detours to accomplish his will in our lives. The first reason he uses detours is to protect us. To protect us. Our story tells us that in the middle of night, God sends an angel in the midst of a dream to Joseph. Tells him to get up and move to Egypt. I am so impressed with Joseph. He gets up in the middle of the night, wakes up his wife, and they pack up their few belongings and start for Egypt in the dark. Now, if I had been Joseph, I might have said, but... God, what about my carpentry shop? I might have said, God, if we don't go back, our relatives will be worried to death. I might have said, but God, my wife doesn't have all the supplies and clothes she's going to need for herself and a one-year-old son. But we don't hear any of that from Joseph, do we? Obediently, instantly, he responds in faith. And maybe I'm more impressed with Mary. Wives, put yourself in this situation. Your husband wakes you up in the middle of the night, says he's had a dream, we have to pack stuff up and leave immediately. You'd think he was crazy, wouldn't you? You wouldn't go, would you? Mary goes, obediently, trusting her husband, trusting God. God sends us on detours to protect us, just as he did the Holy Family. They walked 175 miles to a town called Motoria. They didn't know how long they would be there, how they would pay their bills. But God had sent them, and so they went. I love that faith, that example. God sometimes sends us on detours without telling us where or why or how long. But it's always to protect us or accomplish his will, to keep us in his will. Paul Harvey tells the following true story from his book, The Rest of the Story. I have about five of his books called The Rest of the Story. And this story is about Mrs. Paul, who was the choir director in Beatrice, Nebraska. Her daughter was a church pianist. They lived together. And the most important thing to each of them is the church choir. The Westside Baptist Church in Beatrice had about 18 choir members. They practice every Wednesday night at 7.30. But on March 1st, 1950, both Mrs. Paul and her daughter decided to take a late afternoon nap. They forgot to set the alarm. They woke up exactly at 7.30 in a panic. Never before had they been late for choir practice. They were fastidious. They were committed. They always arrived 30 minutes early. But that was March 1st, 1950, and on that night, all 18 choir members were late for choir practice. 
March 1st, 1950. Never before had that happened on the same night. Never after. But on that night, exactly at 7.30, when choir practice was scheduled to begin, there was a natural gas leak in the church basement. The furnace, which was old, ignited, and the church exploded. And that old church furnace just happened to be located directly beneath the choir loft. The empty choir loft. Is that a coincidence? Or is that a detour? Later, each of the 18 would describe how someone or something had delayed them. God sends us on detours to protect us, to keep us in his will. Psalm 34, verse 7 says, An angel of the Lord encamps around those who belong to him. And that's where we get the concept of each of us having a guardian angel. We do have a guardian angel, but his assignment is not to make sure nothing bad happens. His assignment is to keep us in God's will. And sometimes roadblocks and detours are God's will. He uses it to protect us. Secondly, God sends us on detours to redirect us. Sometimes you and I make plans, and with our fervent tenacity, we pursue them with all that's inside us. And God has to throw up a roadblock just to get our attention. And when he gets our attention, oftentimes it's to say, I'd like you to go this way instead. Ever been redirected by God? I sure have. And I confess to you today that 44 years ago when I chose my college, <clears throat> it was not based on academics. It was not based on a potential major. Not based on friends or girls. It was based on sports. Like Kurt, I went to college to play sports. Only he saw sports as a means to an end, which was classes to get the degree you want. I did it kind of the other way around. Sports allowed, uh, academics kept me eligible so that I could participate in sports because if the truth were really told, my real God was sports. When I arrived at Northern Iowa, a college I chose because it was, had the best track program, program within 250 miles, there were 74 men on the track squad. I was told only 22 would make the traveling squad, so I knew my work was cut out for me. But I had such a great freshman year, I was allowed to be one of five freshmen who lettered and got to break two school records. I was on cloud nine. Everything was going as planned, and I was making good pace. My second year was a little different. In fact, just the opposite. The second year, everything went wrong that could go wrong. Injury after injury. And the third injury was in a freak accident. And when I went in to tell the coach I was limping, he looked at me and he shook his head and he said, Stephen, somebody's trying to tell you something. Wow. Hello. I knew who the someone was. I knew what the something was. Because you see, at age 14, I attended a Bible club after school, 
Rowena Glessner, a friend of my parents, invited me. And she enticed me by saying, we will have the best chocolate donuts you've ever had. And the truth is, that's why I went. A chocolate donuts. But on about the third uh, week that we met, she said, at the end of her little lesson, she said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you a religious person. To be a Christian, you have to open the door of your heart. You have to invite God into your life. You have to not only commit to believing, but to following as well as you know how. She said, if you want to stay after today and pray that prayer, I'll pray with you. And that day I stayed after Bible Club with Beth Bergman, and we both prayed to become new creations in Christ. And that was the beginning of a journey for me. Two weeks later, I'm laying in bed at night. There's a voice in my head. And the voice is saying, I want you to serve me full time. Now, two or three weeks before, in Sunday school, the teacher had talked about Samuel and Eli. And I was familiar with the fact that it's possible for God to speak to us in the quietness of our own mind. And I thought pretty sure this was God. But I also was pretty sure that my answer was no thanks. I said, no thanks, God. And maybe it's because our pastor at the time was short and thin, had black dark-rimmed glasses, carried a briefcase, smoked a pipe, and I could push him over with my finger. And I said, God, I can't do that. I won't do that. And so for six years, I did my own thing. I chased my God, which was track, until the coach said, somebody's trying to tell you something. And I knew exactly what the message was. And so I limped back across the empty field to the dorm, and I knelt beside my bunk bed, and I said, God, today I surrender to you. No more running. No more chasing my own plans. I'm yours. I'll go where you need me to go. I'll do what you need me to do. I changed my priorities. I changed colleges. I changed pathways. I began to prepare by doing good in class like Kurt did all along anyway. I said, God, I'll serve you full time. I'll serve the church. I'll serve your people. I am yours. You see, sometimes we believe God has the right to interrupt our lives. We just don't expect him to do so. But sometimes he has to throw up a roadblock in order to redirect us to where he needs us so he can use us. Some of you here probably are familiar with the story of Balaam in the Old Testament. It's one of my favorites. It's found in an, a book that we rarely read called Numbers. Chapter 22, if you want to fact check it. Balaam gets on his donkey. And he's headed somewhere God doesn't want him to go. So they haven't gone far, and the donkey stops in the road, refusing to move forward. Balaam gets angry, and he begins to beat the donkey. And the donkey veers off into a field. And with great effort, he finally gets him back on the road, and they continue. Only the donkey stops again. This time, the donkey lays down, refusing to get up, 
Balaam's getting madder and madder. He begins to spank the donkey again. Finally, he gets him on his feet. He mounts him, and they start down the road again. They haven't gone far until they come to a narrow passageway, a gate. And as they're going through the gate, the donkey stops. And Balaam begins to pound on the donkey one more time to move forward. And the donkey moves sideways quickly and smashes Balaam's foot against the wall. Now he's really angry. A third time he beats his donkey. And then, friends, God opens Balaam's eyes so that Balaam is allowed to see what the donkey's been seeing. Blocking the road is an angel of the Lord dressed in armor, holding a sword. And only then is Balaam willing to redirect and change his pathway. The truth is, rarely does God open our spiritual eyes so we can see the what and the why and the how. Instead, he asks us, like Mary and Joseph, to respond in obedience, to trust him, to believe he can see around the curve on the road we're on. And he's acting in our present with the future in mind. And that all things will work together for good for those who love God. I don't know what 2020 is going to bring for us. I predict there are going to be some roadblocks. Going to be some detours. And when you face one, the temptation will be to say, God, don't you love me anymore? Where are you, God, when I need you? Why would you let this happen? Because beneath that, we're thinking, I've got plans and this gets in the way. God's calling us instead to a surrendered life that when the roadblock is there and the detour begins to say, God, what is it you want me to learn through this? God, where is it you need me to go because of this? Show me, God, because I'm yours. And that will be possible when we remember God sees around the curve on the road we're on. He's acting in the present with the future in mind. And his plans are for good. God will send detours and roadblocks in 2020. But here's what I also know. 2020 is going to be a great year. God only makes great years. And he's in control. And he loves us and has a plan for us. And he promises to journey with us even when the pathway goes through the valley of shadow of death. Even then he's beside us, loving us, encouraging us. And his promise is to take us safely home. Naples is a beautiful place, but it's not home. We read in the New Testament that on earth we are aliens and strangers, pilgrims passing through. Sometimes we forget that. It's easy in, it, it's easy in the tyranny of the urgent and the dailiness of life to forget we're passing through, to hold things on earth loosely, to focus on the eternal instead of the temporal, because we're headed home. The place where no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind even imagined. All that God's prepared for those who belong to him. 2020 is going to be a great year. And finally, let me say one more time. My wife, Diane, and I are so blessed that you've included us in this church family. That you've included us on this ministry team. We are excited to see what God's going to do in us and through us in 2020. To God be the glory.
Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.